in Ephesians chapter 6, it doesn't, uh, it's not as hard now to consider the picture of war, if you've seen the pictures, and you've seen uh, what the battle of real battle looks like in our day and age. We're not no longer just looking back to World War II when we think of war, uh, and, and this is what we're seeing today. Ephesians chapter 6, where we've been studying the armor of God. And this morning we're going to look at the helmet of salvation. I'm just going to read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 11, and then verse 17. Verse 10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for this morning. Lord, thanks for this opportunity to get together at the beginning of the week and to worship together, sing together, hear from your Word together, and be encouraged. And Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would just use your Word, that you would teach us this morning, you would help us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would Just remove every distraction. You would speak to us through your word and give us your help as we consider the helmet of salvation. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's, it's easy to picture war, as we've seen um, the pictures. And, and, and there's also in these pictures of war, positive stories. There was the maternity hospital that was shot a week ago. Uh, A mother, they have a picture of her walking down the steps, full of pregnant, covered in blood. Um, And then they showed the picture her baby was delivered. She delivered a a little baby girl a few days later in the midst of this battle. This is the picture that we're seeing on the news all the time right now. In the Ephesians 6.12, the Phillips paraphrase says this, we are up against the unseen power, spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. This is why Paul wrapped up the book of Ephesians and said, listen, um, finally in all these things, remember that you are in a spiritual War. There's a real spiritual battle going on, but in the midst of it, you can stand, and there is positive things that can take place in the midst of these wars. Just yesterday morning, I got two uh, texts from people in our church who had been going through some battles and have been through some battles, but they texted me and said, hey, this is what God has done. This is what God has done. God is good all the time, all the time God is good. In the midst of these wars, uh, God is still working, and the reason that is true is because we have the armor of God. The armor of God is a picture of resources available to us so that we can stand in our faith. To the point that Paul would say, and Scripture, this passage would say, if we are struggling to stand in our faith, it's because we're failing to properly secure on the whole armor of God or to activate it as we fight against the enemies that we have. If you're struggling, the problem is not struggling. 
We live in a broken world. Jesus said this, but if we're struggling to stand as Christians, it's because we're not taking on the armor of God. We're called to struggle in this stand. This is what he says, stand firm. Over and over he said, stand, stand in the struggle. This is how the Christian life has always been is pictured. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the Christian life is pictured as a race. In 1 Corinthians 9, he makes the picture of uh, living the Christian life as a boxing match. If he was around today, he would be like he would have used MMA. Uh, that's how he would have pictured it. If In Ephesians chapter 6, he calls it a war as we are in this battle. And all through Scripture, he says, stand. We're called to be careful. We're called to resist, to devote ourselves, to, to box ourselves, to press on. This is what we're called to do. First Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, gives a picture for us. It says, his divine power, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for if these qualities are yours and are increasing they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his for former sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. That was another attempt at Paul to say, as Christians, we are called to stand because you have an enemy. Satan has schemes. He has plans. He thinks about how to take you out Spiritually, there are evil tactics that he has. He, he thinks about this. Some of the schemes of Satan is when you've decided that you're going to start living for God spiritually, you're going to refresh yourselves, you're going to get back into being more committed to God, uh, you, you're going to be more energetic, you're going to read the Bible more, you're going to pray more, you're going to participate with the fellowship of God more. In those moments, when you are spiritually fresh, that's when Satan's got this, he's going to come with this tactic to tempt you, to, to knock you off from that, to get you from standing that. When a routine changes, you you get called out for work for months, or you have a you your time you have time off from work, or something at work changes, and a routine changes. Satan is very quick to attack us. When you're being tested in your sufferings, when you're tired, uh, when you're burnt out, when you feel just down, Satan is ready to attack with schemes and strategies to wipe you out. Jesus says, don't be surprised by that struggle. He said, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. He doesn't want us mindless. He wants us to be thinking about these things. Satan's desire is to leave you decimated by the difficulties of life and to leave you 
denying God and the power of God in your life. You say, I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. Well, Psalms 50 is a psalm that God wrote to the people of God. And in this psalm, he, he says who he is, and then it's a list of gentle rebukes of God. They, they, were, they were showing up for church, if you read the psalm. They were, they were given their sacrifices. They, they, were, they, were, they were offering, they were, they were given part of their funds. They were, they were doing things. And then in that rebuke, part of that same rebuke, it says, and call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. That, that, that part of that psalm, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, was a rebuke from God. This is all part of the rebuke where they were doing things for God, but they weren't actually calling upon God in the day of trouble. They were thinking that yeah, I, I can figure this struggle out on my own. I can accomplish it. I can, accomplish it. I, I can strategize and get it taken care of. This is what Satan's desires. He doesn't care how much money you make. He doesn't really care about your health. He'll, he'll let you have all the money in the world. He'll let you have all the health in the world. He'll let you have all the success in the world as long as that distracts you from God. Satan's attempt is to have these schemes to take you away from God. And how does he do it? The evil one does it by attacking the mind. He wants to confuse your relationship with God. He wants you to look at your circumstances and say, if God was really for me, then this wouldn't take place. Or he wants you to think that, see, you can do it all. What do you need God for? Look how successful you are. Look how you solved that problem. Look how you took care of that family situation. You don't need God. His plan is to affect and attack your mind. And that's why Paul says... Take the helmet of salvation. The Roman helmets were made out of metal and leather, and they had things to protect the back. They had pieces to protect their cheeks, and they were lined, and some of them, they would, they would have big, uh, impressive um, things on, feathers on top to show how powerful that they were. They were lined with sponge so they can fit it well, like a football helmet. And when a Roman soldier would take his helmet, he knew he was going to war, but a Roman soldier would take his helmet and he'd wear it with confidence because it could take the blows. And when Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation, he knows that Satan's plan, Satan's scheme, is to attack the Christian's mind. He knows that our minds are going to take some blows. Roman soldiers, they'd be fighting, if they had this broad sword, and they would just, what could, they would be afraid of, would be whacked in the head, and your skull be crushed open without your helmet. They put their helmet on, they'd go to war with confidence. Satan has the same type of broadsword that he wants to attack us with. It's often doubt or discouragement. He, he wants those two things just to, to strike us in your brain, to, to crush your, your thinking that God's not for you. So much so that these doubts or this discouragement will lead you to, to stop pursuing 
God, he, he wants to get into your mind, Satan and does, and to confuse you and to confuse your relationship with God. And God, Paul says, don't let it happen. And the way you protect yourself is you take up and put on the helmet of salvation. This is what Job and Joseph both did. Job was attacked by Satan. He, he lost everything. And he struggled. But he never sinned. His mind never got so far away that he didn't trust God. And Joseph went through all the struggles, sold into slavery, lied about, put into prison, had all these obstacles against him. But at the end of his life, he thought well and he thought correctly. And he looked back at his life and he said, you meant it to evil to his brothers. He said, you meant it for evil, for, but God meant it for good. Because he was able to think correctly about the situations of his life. This picture of a helmet of salvation, it really, it is in Ephesians chapter 6, but it comes from Isaiah 50, 59, where God fights for his people. And in Isaiah 59, it says, God puts on a breastplate and he, of righteousness, and he put a helmet of salvation, and he goes and fights for his people. So the armor that we have is the armor that God himself wore when he fought for his people, and that's what he's giving to us. And he says, take the helmet of salvation, that's why 1 Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. But what does God want us to know with this helmet of salvation? And how are we supposed to use the helmet of salvation? We're just going to look at it in three ways. He wants us to cover your Christian mind. He wants you to develop your Christian mind. And he wants you to consider the crown of Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards said this, the ideas and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. Isn't that true? The ideas and images in your mind are the things, the, the, are the invisible powers that constantly govern you. You, you can walk into a situation and it, it can be wonderful, but what's going on in your mind is what will matter. You, 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 can, you, you can mess up great situations because of the ideas and the images in your mind and your assumptions of what you think's going on. So it's the ideas and images in our minds, these invisible powers that constantly govern us. Satan knows it. God knows it. And Satan wants to crush us. And God says, no, I don't, I don't want that to happen. So have on the helmet of salvation. Let this cover your mind. So cover your Christian mind. How do we do that? Well, first of all, it is called the helmet of salvation, which is salvation means deliverance. It's, it's this helmet of salvation, this deliverance that we have. How, how do you cover a Christian mind? Satan spends a tremendous amount of time trying to convince you, trying to convince those that are not a part of Christ, that they are. And he spends a tremendous amount of time trying to convince people who are in Christ, who are Christians, that they're not. Because if he can get you convinced that you're a Christian and you're really not, he has your mind, he has your life, he has your heart, he has your soul. 
But if he can convince a Christian that they might not be, he has their mind. And he'll then mess with their heart and make them ineffective. This is his plan. So we have to cover our mind with this helmet of salvation. It's the foundation of what we have. What is salvation? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the foundation. This is salvation. It is not something that you have done. It's all that God has done for us. So if you're here as a Christian and say, I'm a Christian because I came to church this morning, it doesn't make you a Christian. If you say, well, I, 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 I post some scriptures on my social media, so that makes me Christian. I, I have a tattoo that's a cross, so that must make me a Christian. I like Christians, I hang out with Christians, so that must make me a Christian. Those don't make us a Christian, for we are saved by grace. We are, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. For those who believe, for those who've seen themselves as sinners and have turned to Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, if you've believed, it's not based on how you feel. Because Satan wants to say, well, do you, do you feel saved today? There's days you don't feel saved, right? There's, there are times, if, I mean, if, if we're all honest, if you went by how you feel, most of us wouldn't even be here this morning. We, we just lost an hour of sleep. We, we don't live by how we feel. It's, we have to live by what we know. And salvation is based off of what we know. There's a foundation, and then the focus is, is for those who believe, here are some facts. Andrew Randall wrote some facts out for Christians. If you, if you say, yeah, this is what I believe, I believe. I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ alone, but sometimes I just get consumed with doubts. Am I Christian? Am I not? I don't feel saved. We, we don't live by, based off of what we feel. We lived off of the facts of what God says salvation is. And if you are a Christian... We need to cover our minds with these realities. If you are a Christian, it's because before the beginning of time, God chose you to be His, it says in Ephesians chapter 1. If you are a Christian, it's because Christ actually achieved your salvation, dying for your sins and rising to put, it, put you right with God. If you are a Christian, it's because God has redeemed you from slavery to sin and death. Death and hell no longer have any rights over you and cannot claim you. If you are a Christian, you have been united to Jesus Christ. Christ is in you and he's for you. And he's knit together with you inseparably. If you are a Christian, you have been born again into a new life. If you are a Christian, you have been reconciled to God. His anger at your sins has been turned away by the sacrifice of Christ. If you are a Christian, you have been adopted into God's family. And if you're a Christian, you have been justified. If you're a Christian, you have already entered into eternal life. And if you are a Christian, you have a promise after promise from Jesus himself that he will keep you safe. 
This is why Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Paul says, take the shield, the, the helmet of salvation, because Satan's desire and his scheme is to mess with your mind and to confuse you about the facts. If you're not in Christ, to confuse you that you are by doing something to get in relationship with God. It's not by doing something, it's what Christ's done. And if you are in Christ, and you're trusting in what Jesus Christ alone, he's going to lie to you and say, you're not, live, you're not good enough to be a Christian. Did you, did you see how you talked to that person? How could you be a Christian? But it's not based off what we feel. It's based off the facts of what Jesus and God says we are. So we have to cover our Christian minds, but not just cover it. We've got to develop our Christian minds. If the ideas and images in our minds are the invisible powers that control us, we need to get rid of some of those things that may be trying to control you. You may have allowed invisible things to come in that are they're keeping you from standing in your faith. So how do you develop the Christian mind? It's a helmet of salvation. Salvation is deliverance. There, there are stages of salvation. To say, I am saved. When you came to faith, you could say, I am saved. That's when you were justified. That's when you were made right with God. But now, then you are, we are in the, all in the process of I am being saved. This is where God's doing a work and changing us. And one day we can say, I will be saved. Where we won't have to deal with sin. We won't have to deal with those struggles anymore. But these are the realities. I am saved. I am being saved. And I will be saved. And right now we're living in the stage of, if you're a Christian, where I, I am being saved. I am being sanctified. And the call is to just to develop our Christian mind, to have, to, to have focus and to follow and to stand. It's what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. Christian hope is what we have in this, not wishful thinking. The, the, the world's view of hope is, is just kind of wishful thinking. The Christian view of hope, the Bible's view of hope, is it's... It's an expectation. It's expected. We, we have this expectation. So when we read Philippians chapter 2, it says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is how we should live in expectation as we develop our minds. We have many sufferings and we have struggles. We have this Christian hope and expectation that if God said he began a good work in me, he is going to complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. He is working. It's not wishful thinking. It's true hope. H.B. Charles Jr. tells a story of a bunch of guys who are out to eat one night and they're at the restaurant eating and looks across this room, this guy, and there's an attractive woman on the other side and she keeps looking over at him and his buddies say, hey, I, that, she's checking you out. You need to go over there and say something. And, and, and so he, she, keeps, she keeps looking so he, he finally walks over there and he says, hey, I, 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 I don't always do this but uh, I kind of noticed that you were looking at me and I just wanted to come over and say hi. 
And she says, oh, I'm, well, she goes, um, I was just looking over there because you looked like my first husband. And before I had much time to think, he goes, I look like your first husband. How many times have you been married? And she says, I've never been married. That's hope. That's, that's, that's expectation. That's, that's what we have uh, as Christian hope. It's just this expectation, this confident expectation that the Lord will direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfast love of Christ. How, how do we develop this Christian mind in the midst of all these struggles, this, this expectation that God said, he began a good work in me. He's going to perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. And we get up on Mondays, and we get up on Tuesdays, and we get up on Thursdays, and it seems like we can take one step forward and three steps backward. And how can it be, God, that you are for me? How are you working a good will, a plan for my life? We develop a Christian mind by direction. Isaiah 26.3 says, you, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. It's the reality of waking up and saying, I am in Christ. God has begun a good work in me. Whatever happens today, it is God's work in me. I'm going to put my mind, I'm going to direct my mind and keep it stayed on Christ. When the fiery darts come, when the thoughts and the confusion come, I'm going to keep my focus directed on Christ. It's, it's a direction for a Christian to develop a Christian mind. It's also, for Christians, it's also an association. We, we need people around us to help us in the faith. This is the purpose of the church. This is the purpose of why we have midweek service. This is the reason why we have the, 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 the two classes for the men and the women in the morning. So 1 Corinthians 15, says, Do not be deceived. Bad companies corrupts good morals. We need associates. You can say, I want to walk with God, and then we can easily get around, around crowds and individuals that are moving us away. We need a direction, and we need associations that we can get together with. And even in moments of just kind of awkward, we can start out in the awkward, but say, hey, you know what? I, I need you to be aware. This is what's going on in my life, and I need you as my Christian brother and friend to help me. Do you have people like that? Do you, do you have a group of people around you, that are helping you keep your mind on God, where you can get together with them, you have fun, but when, it's, when, when the darts of Satan are coming, you, you can say, hey, it, it, we don't do this all the time, but every week, every time we see each other, but, but here's what's going on. I, I need some prayer. I, I, need, some, I need some help. We, we need a direction. We need associations, and we need diligence. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Philippians 2, 12 says, Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. We have to be diligent in this. We have to have the right direction. We have the right associations. We have to have diligence in developing our Christian mind. How do we do it? As I wrote that out this week, I noticed that DAD, Direction Association, and diligence spells dad. If you want to develop your Christian mind, 
which we are called to do. The Bible is a book that says, read me, think while you read me. See and search. And you want to do that? And we have a dad. We have a heavenly father that we can ask for help. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Sometimes we just don't ask. We let our minds go in every direction and we forget to pause, even as Christians, to take the helmet of salvation and ask the Father to help us think, to help us develop our minds in the way it should go. We need to cover our Christian minds. We need to develop our Christian minds and we need the helmet to salvation as we consider the crown of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an absolute gift of grace. There's many people who'd be like, how can one guy come to earth die on a cross and, and have any benefit for me? How, how can one individual have so much impact on the world? I just don't understand how one individual can, can, can do that. Well, just watch the news in the last three and a half weeks. One little individual in Russia has made some decisions that has affected the whole world. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. And then verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Jesus came into the world with this gift of grace, and he's the giver of grace. And in that process of Jesus coming, knowing why he came, knowing where he was going, he was arrested by the Roman guards. They mocked him for being a king, and they wrapped together a thorn, a crown of thorns, and they crushed it on his head. Often we think about the crown of thorns like just a little thin thing, but it's probably more like a helmet. They took a whole bunch of thorns, wrapped it around, and crushed it on top of Jesus' head. And the whole time it happened, Jesus suffered. He bled. He felt the pain of it. He felt the anguish of it. But he did it with joy. Hebrews 12 then tells us, Look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So much so that he took that stress, took that helmet of thorns for you. It was a gift of grace from the giver of grace, and it was a grace 
of graces. So much so that Romans chapter 8, verses 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God was willing to allow his son Jesus to take a helmet of thorns and to die on the cross and to bleed, if he was willing to do that and he didn't spare his own son, then this problem at work you're dealing with this week, he's, he's not going to forget about you. This health issue that you're dealing with, he's not going to forget about you. He's going to deliver you in his salvation. The financial stresses you're going with through, he's not going to forget about you. If you are in Christ, because you have this helmet of salvation, what then shall we say to these things? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he, how will he not also with us graciously give us all things? If God the Father let Jesus suffer for us, and Jesus did it with great joy, whatever problem you're struggling with, that Satan's attacking your mind with, that's consuming you, God is not going to forget you. He's going to make us glad. So we can sing, I will bless the Lord forever, and I will trust him at all times. He has delivered me from all fear, and he has set my feet upon a rock. I will not be moved. You put on the helmet of salvation by recognizing the great gift of grace that we have been given and knowing that he who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ.